0: Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? Welcome back to the Shit Talk Podcast. It's been a week, maybe two weeks. I'm your host, Liz Broder, in case you skipped the intro. Welcome back. And today on Shit Talk, I'm talking about the blue zones. Probably less shit talk today than my usual episode, but that's okay. Not every episode needs to focus specifically on the gut or our poop. So today I'm talking about the Blue Zones. They've gained more popularity in recent years. There's actually a Netflix documentary about them that came out this year, but I have to say to all the people that you know asked me if I know what the Blue Zones are recently, it's not a new concept. It's definitely increased in popularity, but the research was actually led by Dan Butner, Butner, we'll say Butner for shit talk sake, Dan Butner to uncover, he and his scientists were looking to uncover secrets of longevity. And they actually started their research in 2004 and their book, original book was published in 2012. So my point is it's 2023, almost 2024. The book was published well over 10 years ago. This is not new. I do love as a dietitian that people are interested in longevity, you know, that it's gaining popularity that people want to know, that people are interested in the research, it's great. And how can you apply it to your life? That's what we're gonna talk about today. But I just like to drive home the point that this is not new. This research was done in the early 2000s for almost a decade with a book that came out. So if you have not yet read the book and it's of interest to you, I encourage you to read it. I read it back in like maybe 2013. It's good, it's very interesting. Um. But yeah, what I'm talking about today specifically is actually through his team of researchers, Dan, well, Dan and team, they were able to pinpoint nine commonalities, they call them the power nine, amongst all five blue zones, which is incredible. Like, imagine you're assessing five different places in the world and you're able to come up with nine common, like that's a lot, even just one commonality is a lot. Nine, amazing. So. Brief intro for those of you who don't know, the blue zones are parts of the world that are known for having lower rates of chronic diseases and longer life expectancy. They have the highest number of centenarians, which is people who live to 100 and above. So, they're places where people reach age 100, 10 times the rates of those in the United States. So, that's pretty notable. And again, if you don't know, Apologies if this is repetition for you, but the five blue zones are Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece. I always stumble on that one. I'm like, is it Ikaria? Is it Ikaria? Ikaria. So I apologize if you are Greek or have been there, and I am mispronouncing it. Sardinia, Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, Nicoya, Costa Rica, and Loma Linda, California. Those are the five. And I can say I've been to Sardinia. I have not been to the other four definitely on the bucket list because I want to see it in action. So getting right into it, let's get into the power nine, the nine evidence-based common denominators that researchers discovered while studying world centenarians or areas where they have the most centenarians. The first one, I'm going to love this one, is move naturally, natural movement. So they found the world's longest living people do not do any types of cray-cray classes like CrossFit or HIIT or Soul Cycle or berries or train for marathons. And I'm not knocking those, there's nothing wrong with them. I'm just saying, they did not do those. They lived in environments that supported natural movement without them having to think about joining a gym or going to a class. They grow gardens, they do not have mechanical conveniences for house and yard work. For example, in Sardinia, it's extremely hilly and they walk everywhere. They rarely have cars, they're not taking Ubers, they're not taking the subway. They're walking two miles uphill to the market, gathering their fresh produce, and then they're walking that shit back home. Now, for those of you who have been listening along for the last year, because shit talk is now over a year, you know how I feel about walks and walking, steps. You know, that's for me personally, an absolute non-negotiable. Walking has changed my life for so many reasons, the routine of it, the accountability, fresh air, sunshine, counting my steps. And I can tell you none of it, when I went into, when I started walking in the pandemic, none of it was for calorie burning or for physique or body recomposition, but I can tell you it has supported a leaner figure for me. So the point of this is natural movement. Now it can be easier said than done. We don't all live in areas where we can just walk to work or walk to the grocery store. That's fair. What I'm gonna say is add in natural movement whenever you can and however you can. So for example, I live in Manhattan, obviously it's very walking based, but it is so, so easy to order an Uber or Lyft or hail cab. I walk 100% of the time if I can. If walking is not an option, meaning, It'll take me 90 minutes or more to walk there. I subway because then at least I'm walking to the subway and then walking from the subway to my destination. It's very rare that I'll do an Uber or a Lyft. That's really more for nighttime or if it's horrible weather or if I'm going somewhere really far. I make that effort. Same with grocery store. Again, I get that it's New York. You can't do this in the suburbs, but I always walk to the grocery store, get my stuff, walk home. Now, that's not the same as walking to get your produce in Sardinia up a hill and for two miles and walking back home. But my point is do what you can. If you can walk to that workout class or make a deal with yourself, walk one way, subway the other, or subway one way, Uber the other. It's small changes like that, that compound over time. So figure out ways you can move naturally, even if it's, and again, I struggle with this personally. It's so easy to order on Amazon. Oh my God. Everything on Amazon I could easily just walk to Duane Reed or CVS instead of ordering chopstick or NyQuil. Do what you can instead of using Amazon, which is such a comfort and so convenient. Make yourself walk there. Make yourself get there. Do what you can. Number two of the power nine is purpose. So the Okinawans call it ikigai and the Nikoians call it plan de vida. And both translate to why I wake up in the morning. Now, researchers found that blue zones all had a sense of purpose. Knowing your purpose is worth up to seven years of extra life expectancy. That to me was mind boggling. Seven years on your life if you have a purpose. Again, I can speak from my personal experiences. I definitely feel more grounded, less anxious, more productive, more in the zone, more like I'm, you know, I have a vision, I'm on a path when I have a purpose going through life aimlessly for me personally is uncomfortable. So I reflect and refocus as many times as I need to. And if I feel I've lost my way or I'm unsure why I'm doing what I'm doing, I check in. I have non-negotiable quarterly check-ins. But if you need to do them sooner, then I do. I'll be like, "What am I doing? Why why am I doing this? Why am I pursuing it? I've gotten sloppy. You know, like I need I need to check in." Do that with yourself. And If you're not happy with the purpose, if you really don't feel like you have a purpose, that's something to reevaluate and figure out. Definitely takes self-reflection, definitely takes honesty with oneself and also accountability. Number three, stress management. Oh my God, cry me a river. Everyone says, manage your stress, meditate, journal, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's so much easier said than done, but we learn from the blue zones. So of course, even people in the blue zones experience stress. And as you may know from past episodes, stress leads to chronic inflammation and chronic inflammation is associated with every major disease state. And specifically right now, what's relevant, it's associated with every major age-related disease and disease state. What the world's longest living people have that others do not, clearly, are routines to manage stress, to shed the stress, to get rid of stress. They have something in place for stress management, not a sporadic, let me sit down and cross my legs and try to meditate. Oh my God, that 30 seconds was painful. I can't do that again. No, they have daily shit they do, whether they're stressed or not, things that are a part of their lives that help manage stress, which keeps inflammation down. It helps keep your adrenals healthy. It helps with so many things I can't even get into it. It deserves its own episode. For example, the Okinawans take a few moments each day to remember their ancestors. Adventists pray. So the Adventists are in Loma Linda, California. Um, it's a very specifically religious area. So they pray for stress, dealing with stress. The Icarians take a nap that I can get on board with. The Sardinians do happy hour that I'm already on board with. Consider me an Ikarian and Sard- Sardinian because I will gladly nap and attend daily happy hours. I also will say um, I'm on board too with, I mean, I'm on board with all of it and whatever works for you, but specifically for me, though I love those, but also the Okinawans, if they take a few moments every day to remember their ancestors, I do that every day in gratitude. I give gratitude every morning. What am I grateful for? How am I gonna be the luckiest person alive today? What's gonna happen? Some of it I won't know about, but some of it will. I manifest different things. Might sound corny, but works for me. That may not be specifically about my ancestors, but it's certainly taking time to reflect and be grateful for where I came from and different opportunities I have had along the way. So point here, what reduces your stress? For me, as I've said 90 times, it's walking, which also seems to fulfill more than one of these longevity factors, which is great. I walk, I apologize, I've been sick, so blowing my nose. I walk, I get outside, I get the steps, It definitely helps reduce stress, clear my mind. That's one thing that I do. Happy hours are fun, but we will get into how they consume alcohol in a bit. The way New Yorkers at least do happy hour is not what I'm referring to when I say the Sardinians do a daily happy hour. It's not going, drinking on an empty stomach, binge drinking, six drinks. That's not what it is. So just making that very clear. So check in with yourself. What helps you reduce stress? I don't know, only you know that, but it should definitely be something that's a part of your daily life, whether you're stressed or not, just something you have to look forward to. For me, it's walks. Number four of the power nine, the 80% rule. So the Okinawans say, and I again, apologies if this pronunciation is off, hara hachibu. So that's a 2,500 year old Confucian mantra said before meals that reminds the Okinawans to stop eating when their stomachs are 80% full, eight zero. The 20% gap between not being hungry and feeling full, I can tell you as a dietitian, could be the difference between losing weight or gaining weight because as we know, there's a lag time between fullness in the stomach and the message to the brain. So researchers found that people in the blue zones eat their smallest meals in the late afternoon or early evening and then They don't eat anymore for the rest of the day. So they also have a much longer overnight fast. So they have larger meals at the beginning of the day, gradually the meals get smaller and they cut it off late afternoon, early evening. Fasting has been shown to be linked to longevity, different episode, but just inserting that in there. So again, this is a lot easier said than done. It depends on your routine. It depends where you live, what your, how things are, you know, in terms of your diet what you eat and when, what kind of regimen you're on. And I understand that. But one thing I can encourage you to do if you are not someone who can do like a larger first meal and a smaller last meal that you cut off late afternoon or evening, this is when mindful eating comes into place when you're working on the 80% rule because tuning in, slowing down, the slower you go, the better your ability to recognize when you're at 80% full. When you're shoving food in, it's oftentimes too late. You're not thinking, you're eating mindlessly. And then before you know it, you're stuffed. You're like, okay, I should stop. You're already feeling stuffed. Then wait 10 minutes and your brain catches up. You're like, oh my God, I am uncomfortably full. So how do I encourage the 80% rule? Chew your food thoroughly. Put your utensils down in between each bite. Swallow. Enjoy the food. Be in touch with the food. Don't be on your phone. Don't be watching TV. Don't be on your tablet. Don't be playing any handheld games. I mean, these, I don't know. I can't list it all. The point is stay focused on the food. Be in touch after every bite. How do you feel? I also encourage people going into a meal, recognize how you feel. Are you starving? Are you pretty hungry? Are you not that hungry? Are you not hungry at all? Then why are you eating? Another thing to reflect on. But the slower you go, the less that lag time is going to bite you in the ass because you're going to be more on top of it and recognize when you're 80% full. Try it. And also the thing that I crack up with, With this, people are like, oh my God, well, what if I think I'm 80% full? And I stop, and then I'm still hungry. So go back and eat. Like, it's like making a drink. You don't wanna put too much alcohol in. You can always add more. Same thing here. If you stop, and it turns out you're still hungry, go back and eat. Add a little more in. You can't undo it, though, once you've eaten. So, I mean, I guess you can, but not in a healthful manner. So, pause, wait, when you think you're at 80% wait 10, 15 minutes, see how you feel. And if you're still hungry, you can go back and eat. Number five of the power nine. So they found most of the centenarians eat a plant-based diet. This is, not again, not a new concept, not a new idea. It's definitely gained more and more popularity in recent years. They found they eat a lot of beans, black beans, soybeans, lentils, fava beans. That, from the book, they said is the cornerstone of most centenarians' diets. And in terms of meat, they eat mostly pork, but on an average of only five times per month. And they keep to the serving size. So they eat what we recommend for protein, three to four ounces, about the size of your palm or the size of a deck of cards. Now, two things here. Going plant-based, great. Does that mean you should all of a sudden stop eating any animal-based products and go quit cold turkey and just go plant-based? No. It means try one day a week. If you want to do meatless Monday, go ahead. Any day that works for you. And try going plant-based and see how that goes for two weeks. And if you want to add in a second day, do that. The other thing to work on is portions. So if you know you eat meat and you know you're not adhering to the three to four ounces, well, that's something to focus on too. Maybe work on portions of your protein and having more plants rather than just cutting out meat altogether and only having plants. No, maybe just have more plants and less meat, keep eating the meat as well. Meat meaning chicken, fish, red meat, whatever. There are ways to do this without just dramatically and drastically cutting meat out. But the point is, this is what they found. They ate mostly plant-based and they ate meat five times per month and it was usually pork. I thought that was interesting. Number six, wine at five o'clock. People in all the blue zones, except the Adventists in Loma Linda, because the Adventists don't drink. In all the blue zones but Loma Linda, they drink alcohol moderately and regularly. Moderate drinkers outlive non-drinkers. Isn't that unbelievable? I was like, what? I had to reread that one a few times. The trick is to drink one to two glasses per day with a friend and or with food. And no, you cannot save up all week and have 14 drinks on Saturday. That's That's not the goal here. Alcohol in this case is used to bring people together. It's not consumed on an empty stomach. It's not used to dull feelings. It's used in social environments. This helps with community and connecting, which I'll get into in a few of the next ones. But that's really the point here is, and, and this could also be tie back to the stress management. Maybe every day you see your friend, you have one to do glasses of wine, you recount the day. If something bothered you, you discuss it, get it off your chest. You talk about the good things that happened. You show gratitude. You say what you're excited about for tomorrow. Before you know it, maybe an hour or two has passed. You're feeling a little better. You've had one to two glasses of wine. You move on. This is not, oh, wine at five, let's get hammed, happy hour after work, shots, couple of tequila sodas, maybe a beer thrown in there, all on an empty stomach. Like that's, I have to like drive that point home. That's not what this is. This is like when people hear, oh, dark chocolate can help with heart health. So I'm just going to eat chocolate every day for the rest of my life and pounds of it. No, that's not what that is. And in this case, I'm not saying go get drunk every day. And I'm not saying drink in the morning or at work or anytime time would be inappropriate. I'm saying this is something they found amongst all the centenarians, with the exception of those that didn't drink, wine at five, evening not on an empty stomach and with friends. Seven of the nine of number seven of the power nine faith and belonging. So all but five of the 263 centenarians interviewed belong to some faith-based community. The denomination didn't matter. It was just that, just that they were a part of a community, a faith-based faith. I can't talk faith-based community. Research shows that attending faith-based services four times per month will add four, to 14 years of life expectancy. What? I've never in my life heard that. And this is almost as insane as the, whatever I said before, where it was like seven extra years. I have to go back and find it. But the statistics on longevity out of this, they're not making it up, but it's like, would you have guessed that? So if you attend temple or church or some sort of prayer circle, any sort of faith-based service, four times per month, so let's say once a week, that that can add four to 14 years of life expectancy. I would have never in a million years guessed that. If someone showed me the power nine and said, which one do you think adds four to 14 years of life expectancy, I sure as fuck would not have guessed faith and belonging. Just saying. Number eight, family first. Now, Successful centenarians in the Blue Zones all seem to prioritize their families. And this was de- this is definitely portrayed in the book and definitely portrayed in the Netflix um, series. So aging parents and grandparents are very nearby or in the home. And it shows that it lowers disease and mortality rates of children in the home, too. I liked that one. They're committed. Centenarians were committed to a life partner, which can add up to three years of life expectancy. I better get on that. Um, committed to a life partner, and they invest in their children with time and love and attention. So they also showed that the more you invest in your children with time and love, the more likely than those children are to care for aging parents when the time comes. So it's an ongoing cycle. That seems very beautiful. Family first, focus on your loved ones, take care of those that took care of you, and keep it going. Now, number nine, and I think personally, this is kind of like a culmination of a couple of these, but I still appreciated it. So they found healthy and supportive environments amongst all five Blue Zones. The world's longest living people chose or were born into social circles that supported healthy behaviors. The Okinawans created something called, I can't even pronounce this, Moes. It's groups of five friends that committed to each other for life. I thought that was beautiful. And research from what they called the Framingham studies shows that smoking, obesity, happiness, and even loneliness are contagious. I'll repeat that. Smoking, obesity, happiness, and loneliness are contagious. So point being, whoever you're hanging out with, whoever you're spending time with, If they're smokers, if they're overweight, if they're happy, if they're more positive, if they're lonely, if they're sad sacks, if they are lazy, that shit's contagious. So they found that social networks of long-lived people have favorably shaped their health behaviors. Now, I also think this is interesting because healthy supportive environments. I mean, I didn't dig deeper to find studies on those raised in healthy supportive environments versus the opposite. But I'm sure it's pretty obvious in where they end up. That's not for everyone, of course. There are always people that are from the wrong side of the tracks and they're determined to not do that, not repeat the mistakes, have a different life, have kids, give them a different life. And that's incredible. I just think it's interesting, though, that when people are born into it and they have these supportive environments and the examples are set, these healthy examples like movement, natural movement, like taking care of your elders, like having healthy ways to release stress, that they are happier and clearly the world's longest living people. So let's recap. And like I said, I'll combine a few. So I don't have a recap of nine. But natural movement doesn't need to be what we call a, quote, workout. It could be walking somewhere instead of driving or figure out, figuring out ways to incorporate movement into your usual routine. One of the most important ones I encourage people is where do you work and where can you walk in the middle of the day? whether it be on your lunch break, whether it be whatever. Most office buildings, even if you are someone who has to drive to work, most office buildings, There's, you can go outside, you can go on a sidewalk, there are hallways. Getting that midday movement, important for a reset, refocus, move your body, helps you not be sedentary for eight hours, really important. Number two, purpose. Reflect and remind yourself of why you do what you do. And if it's not in line with what makes you happy, make a change. Number three, stress management. Don't suppress or let things get out of control. Manage the emotions. Like most things I say on this podcast, that's easier said than done. But the point is, if the longest living people in the world have a daily form of stress management, that tells you something. So figure out what helps you de-stress and do it. It, Like to me, that too is like a non-negotiable. Like if that's something at a certain point in your life you haven't worked out, then I don't know what you're hiding from or running from or what you've been so busy doing, but that's real. It's important to know one, what stresses you out and two how to manage it and what helps you de-stress. The next one, four, four or five, I'm losing my count, plant-based eating and 80% full. So this is, I think, um, four and five I'm combining them, choosing plants, make sure your plate is 50% veggies, which is what we call balancing your plate and, Focus on mindful eating so that you can stop at 80% full. The slower you go, the better time you're going to have not overeating and recognizing, okay, I'm full, I'm not hungry, I'm not stuffed, it's time to stop. Next one, having wine more regularly, but not as much each time. I'm not talking about binge drinking, I'm talking about the happy hour, I'm talking about seeing friends, I'm talking about being with people, community. Wine is a way to bring people together. Be in a happy, healthy environment amongst a supportive group of people, which brings me to the final one. Again, I'm kind of combining a bunch of these. Belonging, supportive environments, prioritizing family, faith, and well-being. These things all seem to be very important and a central part of the centenarians' day-to-day lives. Now, what does that mean for you? That doesn't mean go uproot your whole life and start applying all these. It means reflect on what you already do. Pat on the back. Amazing. Which one of these, here's how I encourage it. Which one of these is most interesting to you? Think about it. And then I also say, which one of these is going to be the easiest to implement? What's going to be different for everyone. But which one of these is kind of like, you don't necessarily do it or you don't do it consistently, but it it's already on your mind and it's already kind of a part of your lifestyle. What needs to happen to make it a regular routine part of your lifestyle and go from there and knock them off one by one. And some of these just may not be appealing and it's not in the cards for you. And that's fine but seven of the nine or six of the nine versus one or two of the nine better than, you know, the more the merrier. It doesn't mean you have to have nine out of nine, especially given where you're living. Of course, a lot of these people's diets and movement is very unique and specific to where they live, their terrain, how they source food, what they do in a day, what their lives look like, what their jobs are. Again, a lot of that is specific to geography and we can't necessarily control that. So I'm not saying you have to do all these things to, for longevity. The point is, what do you already do? What can you add in? What's interesting to you? And also I say, which one seems so unlikely? Which one is like, that would be really nice. Like, oh, sounds nice. But like, in what life? Which one of those is applicable for you? And then I give you a challenge to really think about it. Why is it impossible for you? Why would that not be manageable? because I'm I'm willing to bet it's more manageable, more doable than you think if you sit and take 10 minutes and strategize and think about your day-to-day life and think how can I improve this or how can I actually implement this into my life? At first glance, it may seem impossible, but I bet most of them are pretty feasible if you just take the time to think about it. So that's that. Those are the power nine of the Blue Zones and implement what you can, especially if you're looking for that longevity.